Chapter one, the business case for forgiveness and reconciliation in the workplace. If organizations could quantify the cost of not forgiving and reconciling, they would most certainly address it. Bottom line, Richard and I cost our organization money by not working together more effectively. My position with the company was a form of high-stakes poker, often resulting in a legislative and or regulatory outcome that ultimately cost our company millions of dollars. Relationships with legislators, customers, and key decision makers were severely diminished due to the conflict and friction between Richard and me. Our CEO, Richard's boss and with whom I had a relationship, should have gotten on a plane, traveled to our division, sat us both down, and said, guys, this is bullcrap. You're both valuable to our company and have important roles to play. Richard, no severance package for Coker. He stays. Coker, give Richard what he needs. You all work it out. Key question, are you playing facilitator in forgiveness and reconciliation or simply acting like a bystander hoping it will either fix itself or go away? At the minimum, you could be complicit in costing your organization a significant amount of money. At worst, you could be preventing your company culture from thriving and your employees from achieving peak performance. It's management and leadership not or. Boards of directors and senior leadership will turn a blind eye to toxic management if profits are high and results are good. And this applies to all sectors of business, government, and even higher education. Legendary college basketball coach Bobby Knight said, I knew I would be fired from Indiana University once we started losing ball games. He was right. Bottom line, boards of directors and senior management must demand both leadership and management. If you have two people in your organization who used to work well together, but for whatever reason now they don't, the end result is they're costing your business money, preventing productivity, and likely delaying delivery of your products and services to the market. Additionally, this conflict is thwarting the innovation and creativity needed to compete in today's global economy. And don't be fooled that it's just between these two people. Employees, consultants, customers, and many others see and feel and are impacted by this tension, especially if the conflict is between two visible leaders in your organization. I work for that guy. The turning point for my personal transformation is when I started telling the real story versus an abbreviated one and a safer one. I was fired, pure and simple. Initially, my story was I had simply left corporate America to write my book. As my confidence and understanding grew, I sensed others were experiencing the lack of engagement from working for a great manager, but a horrible leader. The outcome was my story grew richer and more honest. Inevitably, workshop participants would approach me saying, you know that Richard guy that fired you? I'm working for him now. In fact, a coaching client approached me with this plea for help. 
I'm Richard. I need your help. Promotions based on technical acumen versus leadership abilities. A talented engineer may not be the best vice president. An outstanding principal may not be the best superintendent for your school. A top producing salesperson may not be the best sales manager. Yet most organizations reward superior performance with promotions and the responsibility of leading others. It's very often a fix opposed to a fit and not fair to the individual as you set him or her up for failure. Additionally, you've thrown the organization to chaos, negatively impacted employee morale, and permitted his or her direct reports to be overmanaged and underled, miserable and on the verge of leaving. People don't leave organizations. They leave the wrong choice you just made. The exodus expense. How much does it cost your company when an employee leaves due to the lack of forgiveness and reconciliation and a replacement is hired? Expensive severance packages, temporary employees, others picking up the slack until the replacement is hired, time spent onboarding and training a new hire, diminished employee morale, and the likelihood now that other employees are on the verge of leaving due to the chaos you've created a petri dish for hard feelings and conflict. At that moment, forgiveness and reconciliation are not an option. It's a retention strategy. Just ask your employees, are forgiveness and reconciliation issues? While most of my stories captivate audiences, General Dan Cherry's story of forgiveness and reconciliation propels women and men into an emotional tailspin. After a debrief following a workshop with a group of bank executives, a participant stood up, turned to his neighbor, and started to cry aloud as he exclaimed, It's time we start over. The atmosphere immediately cleared like an organizational cancer had been quickly excised, and the CEO commented she couldn't believe, A, these two people were even sitting next to each other, and B, what just transpired. She continued, Greg, this would have never happened if you had not introduced the concept that reconciliation does not necessarily mean resolution. Key point, forgive and reconcile, but don't discuss the past. Speed of the team, speed of the leader. I'll be honest. I initially thought only the touchy-feely managers and leaders would understand and agree the lack of forgiveness and reconciliation is indeed a business issue. Surprisingly, it's been more the hardline managers and leaders who insist that I write this book. In fact, a chief corrections officer, a pretty hard dude, stood before 27 of his wardens and told a story of waiting 10 years before approaching a former employee he had been avoiding. He simply thanked the man for the work he was doing in the community restoring an old cemetery. That, he said, was the bridge needed to start a conversation. He later sent a follow-up note expressing how much he enjoyed their conversation. That self-disclosure in front of his employees set the tone for a culture of forgiveness and reconciliation that continues to permeate his institution. It was that story of forgiveness and reconciliation and numerous others that served as the catalyst for me to create a 
Because It's Time card modeled after an invitation with an RSVP, you know, like the kind you receive for important events like weddings and graduation parties and which require a headcount. In most workshops, I mention this card, place them on a table, and invite anyone who would like a copy to simply come up after the workshop. We're on our third printing. For your copy of this card, simply email me at ibuildcathedrals at gmail.com. Forgive, reconcile, but don't discuss the past. As I discuss in the following chapter, forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. If we wait until we feel like forgiving the other person, it's likely not to happen, or at least not for a long time. And reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean resolution of the underlying problem or disagreement. My hypothesis for this book was that most eventually forgive, but rarely reconcile because we think reconciliation involves rehashing the past. I'm convinced Richard eventually forgave me as I forgave him. But he would not have accepted an invitation to have coffee as the HR or legal in him would never have agreed to it. And while we eventually reconciled, he unknowingly stole closure for several years. The most important part of that Because It's Time card is the last sentence. The past will not be discussed. Your work family. Other than family, the workplace is the most powerful influence on our life experience as we spend more time with our work family than we do at home. And based on recent Pew research of 10,000 American adults, we're the most polarized and most divided than any time in history. Couple this with a new economy characterized by escalating speed of change, increasing alienation, and a growing search for purpose it makes good business sense to practice the art of forgiveness, to encourage reconciliation, and to repair broken work relationships. Forgiveness and reconciliation also support retention and the engagement of employees. It allows for greater creativity and innovation, and it leads to increased productivity and profitability, generating flexibility and adapting to the ever-changing market conditions. And speaking of family... As a leader, you're a lot like a parent. When siblings fight at home, you naturally intervene. You facilitate forgiveness and reconciliation, ever mindful of the effect conflict is having on your family. While the visible fighting might end, the silence can be deafening. As a parent, you act quickly, not letting the wounds fester. Key question, as a leader in your organization, do you intervene in a significant internal conflict between employees? Should you? Earlier in my career, when our organization was implementing widespread downsizing, we secured the services of an organizational development consultant who used the family metaphor to describe the situation. The company was the parent, and those who were forced to leave were the family members. Surprisingly, the surviving siblings, those employees who retained employment, appeared to suffer the most, feeling abandonment and harboring ill feelings originating from the manner in which the restructuring was carried out. Realizing this phenomenon, we facilitated sharing sessions where forgiveness and reconciliation were key outcomes in organizational stability and eventually cultural transformation. In short, organizational policies, downsizing, 
promotions and demotions, realignments, can often lead to the animosity that makes this book and my workshops necessary. Organizational policies. Are your organization's policies keeping employees in a consistent state of frustration and uncertainty? Forced overtime, on-call duty, knee-jerk staffing decisions, and poorly implementing downsizing are just a few examples. These policies could be creating mental interference with your workforce, and what author Alan Fine suggests is preventing optimum employee performance. In his 2010 bestseller, You Already Know How to Be Great, a simple way to remove interference and unlock your greatest potential, Alan Fine says, Most often, dramatic performance improvement does not come from gaining new knowledge. It comes from getting rid of the interference that gets in the way of using the knowledge and capacity we already have. That one idea has phenomenal implications and applications. It literally transforms the way we approach improving our own performance and the way we approach helping others improve theirs. The lack of forgiveness reconciliation and closure most certainly creates the mental interference that can make individual and organizational peak performance virtually impossible. Key point, take a few minutes and consider organizational policies and procedures that may be causing mental interference with your employees. If appropriate, place these changes and modifications on your action plan we talked about at the beginning of this audio series. People don't leave companies, they leave people. Organizational interference. Is it time for an organizational audit to determine whether you are creating interference when motivation and or organizational effectiveness was the objective? Before a recent workshop, a client innocently commented, Greg, make sure you bring your A game tomorrow. I'm sure he intended that comment to be motivational, but it had the opposite effect. I had a horrible night's sleep and was less than my best all that day. The words we use in our management and leadership style certainly impact others. Choose them carefully. Key question, is there someone with whom you need to circle back and repair a potential misunderstanding based on the words and communication style you used? Absenteeism. Do you really think that emotionally hurting employee who calls in sick is actually sick? Perhaps no more than that child who convincingly says, I've got a sore throat, when they're really being bullied at school. That absenteeism, legitimate or not, causes you to shift daily schedules, rearrange staff deployment, all the while dragging out the problem, even if you hope it will go away on its own. It will not. Health insurance costs. Anything that's keeping your employees from sleeping well is costing you by lessening the productivity, decreasing your safety record, threatening their health, costing more for health insurance, ultimately reducing your company's bottom line. Stress and anxiety impact both individual and organizational health. The following are just a few examples of how emotional stress, the kind that results from the lack of forgiveness and reconciliation, can harm our bodies. Stress can increase muscle tension, leading to teeth grinding, tension headaches, and other kinds of muscle pain. Blood vessel spasms in the brain can cause migraine headaches. Anger and resentment 
can release substances in our bloodstream, which increases the chances of clotting. Emotional turmoil can suppress our immune system, causing us to suffer from viral and bacterial infections. Emotional stress can stimulate the stomach to secrete too much acid, which can lead to heartburn and gastritis. Nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and constipation can be brought on by emotional problems. Steps of teen growth. Form, storm, norm, and perform. Are you stuck in a storm? Many organizations fail to realize and appreciate the navigation required and the opportunities that exist as they move from one evolutionary stage to another. These four organizational team growth stages are form, storm, norm, and perform. How a team or an organization recognizes, reacts, and successfully navigates through these stages greatly impacts the degree of conflict and turmoil within that team or organization. That conflict not only results in a diminished productivity and effectiveness, but often an increased need to address forgiveness and reconciliation among team members or employees. Because of the fluid nature of this model and the near constant organizational change, most organizations are stuck in the storm stage. Additionally, whenever there is a change, especially in membership, in a team or in an organization, that team automatically returns to form. Out of necessity, most teams and organizations navigate through the form stage, albeit rushed, simply to get on with business. After leaving the form stage, they eventually encounter the turbulent white waters of the storm stage, ending up stuck on the rocks and sometimes residing there forever. While there are numerous reasons for that extended stay, the lack of forgiveness and reconciliation between team members and coworkers are often at fault. Ideally, the form stage should be characterized by a reestablishing of organizational expectations and foundational principles such as mission, vision, goals, objectives, roles. Remember, the lack of role clarity is the number one reason for conflict in teams. And in general, navigational guidelines in the quest for reach and perform. The form stage is also a perfect opportunity to discuss cultural expectations such as forgiveness and reconciliation in the workplace. Unfortunately, most organizations rush through the form stage only providing the bare minimum and often not even reaching that milestone. It's no wonder why few organizations ever reach the perform stage. Storm doesn't have to be organizational purgatory. In fact, the storm stage can be a catalyst for creativity and innovation if the issues are attacked versus the individual team members. Interestingly, numerous musicians, Paul McCartney with the Beatles, Phil Collins with Genesis, Mick Jagger with the Rolling Stones, Freddie Mercury with Queen, have commented that while the band's friction, the storm, caused them to explore solo careers, that collective friction was a key ingredient in the band's greatness and was sorely missed as individual artists. While in the storm stage, relationship management should be a priority, with forgiveness and reconciliation not only expected, but collectively understood as a necessity in transitioning to the next stage. In Chapter 5, I present several rituals as potential options for navigating through the storm stage. I Seek Your Friendship is a process modeled after my college experience and a member of a social fraternity. 
Every Sunday night, as our fraternity meeting concluded, a circle was formed, and each member had the opportunity to approach the other member, hand extended, saying, My brother, I seek your friendship. The response, you will find it here. And at that time, few realized the cathartic nature of this exercise as we started the week with forgiveness and reconciliation. And the past from the previous week was never discussed. Friday afternoon sessions. I recently duplicated the I Seek Your Friendship exercise with a group of executives, and while most were uncomfortable at first, many commented on its transformational nature. So consider maybe Friday afternoon sessions where the last hour of each week may look like the following. Number one, a debrief of the week. What went well? Where did we get stuck? What do we need to be doing differently next week? Number two, a preview for next week. Team organizational issues that need to be addressed. And then number three, in the session with, I seek your friendship. Predicting storms. Most of the time, we can see the storm approaching. Clouds, distant thunder, the wind picking up. Translation, you sense something's not right with your team. Not as much participation as the past. Absenteeism, increasing productivity starting to slip. Key question, have you taken the necessary precautions? The wind picks up. Even more distant thunder turns into more threatening sounds of danger. Lightning illuminates the ominous skies. Translation, employees vocally disagreeing, infighting between departments, and now you really must act. You seek shelter. And act you do. You get your team together. You establish norms for storming. Uncomfortable and silent at first, your team eventually opens up. Issues are identified. Alternatives are discussed. Timelines established. And you look out the window and you observe the steady, soothing rain. Thanks to your intervention, the norm stage is just around the corner. Workplace conflict. At its worst, employee safety and well-being may be at risk absent forgiveness and reconciliation in the workplace. In Chapter 7, I introduce the social style model. And while we view life out of four windows, driver, analytical, expressive, aimable, most have a dominant style from which they operate personally and professionally. My style, expressive, doesn't hold back and confronts most situations head on. This happened with Robert. It was public, not pretty, and the beginning of the end of my career. Robert's analytical style did not respond well to this public altercation. Bottom line, I mishandled this encounter, letting my expressive style take control. Drivers are similar to my expressive style in handling conflict. They confront, put their head down, keep themselves busy, and move on. Analyticals, to their credit, usually stay out of trouble. But when they do face conflict, they will usually weigh the options and devise a logical plan. Ironically, a logical plan can potentially get in the way and prevent forgiveness and reconciliation. Analyticals generally prefer the problem resolution prior to forgiveness and reconciliation. This may or may not be possible. Aimables are emotional, but unlike expressives, an aimable will not confront. They avoid conflict and will allow the anger to build. But at some point, if the aimable cannot resolve the conflict, 
they will attack. And it's not a pretty situation. Internal customer dissatisfaction. I can often tell how most organizations treat external customers based on how they treat employees who are their internal customers. During a workshop debrief, a correctional officer commented, sadly, I treat our inmates better than I do our own staff. In this particular situation, poor internal customer service creates the need for future forgiveness and reconciliation between prison employees among coworkers and supervisors in an already intense environment. Poor customer service and its aftermath trickle down to that coworker being rude to an inmate, that inmate being rude to another inmate, a fight ensues, escalating violence threatens the safety of everyone within that facility. A riot in your organization. Over coffee with the state's highest correction officer, I asked what he thought in general was the reason for riots in prison. Without hesitation, he responded, lack of leadership. A little confused, I asked him to explain. He said, Greg, you've been in our correctional facilities conducting your reentry programs, and I'm sure you've been escorted by our officers, right? After responding in the affirmative, he continued, did you observe communication between the officers and the inmates? Again, I responded in the affirmative. That's good, he said, and continued. Greg, when there's no communication and interaction between our staff and the inmates, there's going to be a riot. I immediately thought of the applications to organizations like yours and mine. A realistic analogy, I think. If there's no communication between leadership and employees, there's going to be a riot. A riot in the form of union representation, a sick out, or in general, low productivity and morale. As leaders, we have to create an environment, a culture for high levels of communication, interaction, and engagement within our employees. Give your employees the benefit of the doubt. Most employees want to give 100%, fully aware and committed to treating customers the way they want to be treated. Most employees are creative, innovative, and they seek full engagement. Most employees want to be fully engaged. And while most of our employees would love to end their career with your company, the drama in the workplace, the bullying, the silence, the lack of forgiveness and reconciliation has them considering an exit plan. Employees don't leave organizations. They leave people. Employees are more likely to leave when forgiveness and reconciliation and closure are absent. Again, the mental interference may be the culprit to your low customer satisfaction numbers. Identify the interference. The goal of this book, helping you and your organization reach the perform stage. In the following chapters, I provide tools, theories, models, and real-life examples all designed to make you more aware, inspire, educate, and activate forgiveness, reconciliation, and closures. These tools include steps for forgiveness, rituals, customizing forgiveness and reconciliation, creating a culture for forgiveness and reconciliation, employee engagement, the dynamics of change, uncovering your blind spots, stress management, leadership, habits of highly effective people, and being the best version of you. My sincere appreciation for your investment in healing the wounds, forgiveness and reconciliation in the workplace. But most of all, 
Thank you in advance for the forgiveness, reconciliation, and organizational healing you will facilitate, hopefully experience, and the greater levels of success you will reach as a result. So kick back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy. Considered an expert in human behavior and organizational dynamics, Greg Coker is the author of Building Cathedrals, The Power of Purpose, and The Soft Skills Field Manual, The Unwritten Rules for Succeeding in the Workplace. Greg's website is gregcokerdevelopment.com. He can be reached at 270-223-8343.